This is the FS podcast hosted by Exadel. Exadel are the leading providers of digital transformation, managed services, and staff augmentation for the financial markets. Today, we're joined by Pat White. Pat is the CEO and co-founder of Bitwave, who are bringing crypto to enterprises. He's here to talk to us about finance for business and the shifting role of the CFO. Hi, Pat. Thanks for joining hey, us. Hey, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me. Should be a fun chat today. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I like your t-shirt. Get a little bit wave. So obviously I speak to a lot of people in the B2B payments and one of the recurring themes for definitely since the beginning of Corona, even before, I would say maybe a few years before, um, when I ask about the future of the industry has been digital assets and how digital assets will impact businesses specifically. Um, that's something you're working on today, right? <laughs> It's it is it's what I wake up every single day thinking about. It's, it's sort of my it's become my passion in life because I love this idea. You know, we've all grown up with the financial system that we have today, and I think it has failed many, many, many people. And that you know, crypto was in many ways a direct reaction to various issues that the current like financial system has, and that can be disenfranchisement or uh, or access to different products and things like that. And we, in the abstract, people tend to think a lot about crypto in terms of of helping individuals, like which is to say, you know, one of the one of the the catchphrases in crypto is banking the unbanked, right? This idea that you have a lot of people in the world there, and there's a, there's great examples of like in Nigeria, people using cell phone minutes as money because there was no banks around. It's not safe. To, it wasn't safe to carry cash or there wasn't access to cash. And so people were using sort of cell phone minutes. And this is it's very much this natural progression of that, which is saying like, hey, you know, is can crypto start to be a, a banking platform that doesn't require centralized institutions? But as, as part of that discussion, what often gets left off is businesses and and businesses have as many disenfranchisement issues well i wouldn't say as many but depending on 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 where you kind of you know how how macro micro you end up looking at it um businesses also have a very interesting set of disenfranchisement issues um a, sim a silly one is that you know someone like bitwave we're a we're a uh, you know just about 100 person company and we it would be tough for us to go and get like to issue a bond and i know maybe we don't want to issue a bond but there are, even within corporate even within corporate america there are lines at which you as a business can can get serviced and you as a business can not like there's no one at, at goldman sachs that's going to take my my call to do a 10 million dollar bond or something like that it's just not it's not worth literally anybody's time so even though even though crypto people do tend to think about it a lot about banking the unbank and, and, and franchising people that don't have access to traditional financial services, that goes for businesses as well. It goes for you know debt debt options and uh, advanced collateralized options and securities and all that kind of stuff. The crypto is really you know it's if you don't if you if you don't live and breathe this stuff every day, you might not realize it. But what you can do in crypto today is is amazing. I mean, incredibly complex sets of financial operations, uh, derivatives that are tracking real world assets and payout based on movement of those assets in, in option pool models. I mean, really, really, really cool stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it, that was probably a longer answer to the question than you were looking for. But there's there's this incredible world where where crypto is kind of slowly changing the way businesses interact with money. And hopefully we'll be, we'll be talking about that over the next, you know, however long here. Do you know what? No, just to take a really quick tangent, it's actually really interesting because 2021, I felt like it was very about the consumer and bringing the consumer kind of micro investing and, and the ability to manage their money in 
a specific way but this year like I was literally just this morning talking to a company who are doing alternative investments for businesses yeah like not just for consumers and the focus is b2b as well and it's interesting to see a lot of this kind of focus on alternative financial services but for businesses coming more into the mainstream this year well, you know it's it's one of those things that it's one of the parts when you know we're we're in this really interesting macroeconomic cycle right now where like you know inflation recession everyone's simultaneously terrified but like the nasdaq yeah. is going nuts i mean like it's just we're in such a bizarre mo- uh, mood right now and i think a lot of the stuff like inflation does hit it hit business it hits businesses really hard i mean it's one of those things where i think you're seeing you're seeing these knock-on effects of inflation you know it hits it hits yeah it's easy to say i mean and obviously a lot of businesses aren't making a lot of money right now so that's not to say that there aren't people taking advantage of the situation but if you do run a business that is reliant on gas or on food costs like restaurants like you are getting hit incredibly hard right now and so this idea of like how do we start servicing up and down like how do we start servicing up and down the the financial pyramid from the from the everyday user through businesses and the SMBs and mid market businesses which is really a lot of the lifeblood of America are those mid market those mid market SMB businesses they're the ones that are in a lot of pain like they're like SMBs are the ones that tend to have most exposure to inflation as a negative on their business and so more more tooling for those businesses is is always a great thing nice nice so i did take a look at your website obviously and i had a question which is going to sound really stupid but what actually is an enterprise accounting platform for crypto what does that do yeah the the best way to describe it is the the day that you bring digital assets onto your balance sheet you have caused a lot of problems for a lot of people at your company uh that you have to that you basically have to deal with the easiest way to say is it is that when you make a transaction with a digital asset you're actually doing four different things potentially so i have some eth let's say let's say deborah i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to pay you one eth for this uh this call today this amazing call that's not happening i don't think we're paying for this but uh it's uh the let's say i'm going to do that so first and foremost, I have a uh, I have to book that as an expense, right? It's this that we, it would be a marketing expense where I have to go to my my accounting system and say, you know, credit digital assets debit marketing expense for whatever the fair market value of of Ethereum is today. So let's say two thousand dollars. I think it's like sixteen, but whatever. So that's so first and foremost, you you as you are spending crypto, whether it's fees or paying for services, or you're getting or you're getting crypto in terms of marketplace revenue, whatever it is each of those transactions is hitting your general ledger so you have to take you have to take the ethereum you have to fair market value it and then that has to go into your general ledger at the exact same time that ethereum just picked up a cost basis or in my example it picked up a a disposal value or disposition proceeds that represents my the the delta between where i bought the ethereum at and where i just disposed of it at and so that delta represents my my capital gains from a tax perspective. So first and foremost, every every crypto transaction first and foremost has a general ledger impact. It secondly has a tax impact because the government wants to know if I bought ETH at $1 and then I just gave it to you at $2000, I just made $1900. The government really wants to know about that cuz cuz they're the government. That's what they like to know about. Uh, and so I need to tax the track, the tracks, uh, the track, the tax implications. Um, second of all, or third of all, in this case, um, 
if you are doing proper U.S. GAAP accounting, there's actually very complex valuation rules you use for digital assets. So this is the same as anybody doing anything with accounting in America. Like if you think about a property management company uh, that owns property on, on in San Francisco, uh, there are incredibly complex rules. Like right now is such an interesting time in, in commercial real estate because, you know, there was sort of this 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 dam that broke recently when the first a uh, big uh, real, uh, uh, commercial office sold in San Francisco at about 75% below where it had been appraised. The second that happens, it sets off this chain reaction of because there are now comparables, everybody who owns all these different commercial lenders and commercial uh, real estate operators who own uh, who own commercial real estate in San Francisco, suddenly have to go through revaluations. They have to say, okay, well, this, this property that I thought was worth a billion dollars is actually only worth $200 million. And oh boy, I just got a margin call or like my, my mortgage just got called by the, uh, the bank and it causes these really nasty cascade effects. Well, the same thing happens in crypto, which is as the value of the asset changes, you have to do accounting work to, to deal with that. So traditionally it's been this process called impairment. And uh, the best way to describe impairment is it's, I mean, this is like getting real deep into the weeds of accounting. Not many people do this, but it's uh, it's this idea of ratcheting down value without ratcheting it back up. The main asset that most people would be used to impairing, like you talk to anyone on the street, would be something like a domain name. This is, it's an intangible asset that you put on your books and there are certain things that could cause it to be to be devalued. So FTX is a great example. There was a point at which FTX.com was worth billions of dollars, like because of the brand, because of everything about it, that that URL by itself was worth, you know, hundred, hundreds to millions to billions of dollars, somewhere in that range. Then after the crash, within one day, the value of that asset basically went to zero. I mean, like, like FTX.com went to a, you know, went to whatever, be worth $100,000 because it's such a toxic asset at this point. And so what you would do on your books is you actually pick up an expense that says, hey, I am marking this asset down and I'm going to mark it down in that case, you know, $900 million or whatever they, whatever they chose. And then what you're left with is, is your, is a new, it's a new cost basis for that asset, but only for an accounting perspective. And so you end up having a cost basis for tax. You end up having a separate for digital assets. You then have a separate cost basis for accounting. Uh, and then on top of all of that, if you're paying crypto out, to employees or vendors or anything, you might also be doing 1099s. Like you might need to be fair market valuing and doing a some some form of a uh, uh, jurisdictional reporting, tax reporting to your agency about how much money you're sending out to people. And that again is now you're going from the fair market value of the crypto to the tax agency so that they know how much you're sending. So that's that's one single transaction. Me sending you one ETH turns into four distinct components on the other side. So what we do is we basically deal with that at, at scale. Because the way crypto works is no one just sends one ETH. I mean, if, if you do, that's awesome. But you don't need you don't need Bitwave if you're just sending one ETH around. Like that's not that's not the 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 issue there. For people that are using this, is that you're doing this a million times a day, or like our our biggest customer does three billion transactions a year. Uh, that is, you know, and that's, that's like a four or five year old company and that's comparable to someone like Walmart. I mean, it's, you know, maybe just a little bit less. I think Walmart is, is in the three to 10 billion range. If you look at like foot traffic and all these different things there, it's a pretty high volume, but it, this is, you know, a five-year-old company with a team of 
<laughs> of four people that are having to deal, or I think I think actually their team is like three people on their finance team that's having to deal with three billion transactions a year. And it's not just that they're it's not just like a normal register transaction where it's like plus or minus a little bit book it. It's those four components that all go into it. So all four of those components you have to do for every single every single one of those three billion transactions, you have to deal with every component of that entire, you know, that those four different things that I just talked about, the general ledger impact, tax impact, accounting impact, and potentially any compliance impact. So it's, it is, that's what BitWave does is we pull all of your blockchain data together, all of your exchange data, all of your custodial data, any data that, that you have that touches cryptocurrency in any way, we pull it all into one place. We uh, handle it at, at incredible scale. And then we allow you to advance reporting and, and, and analytics on top of it. Really interesting. Um, you mentioned taxes. And I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on that, because I actually find that really interesting how taxes and crypto can fit in together, especially from a business. Um, how can CFOs actually ensure that all the crypto they use is taxable? Do they specifically need a platform like Bitwave? Or is there another? Is there something else they can do? Well, as was as with all things in in accounting, you can always use Excel to do it, um, and it really just comes down to it comes down to how much data you're dealing with and how much variety in that data. So what I often say is, if like someone like uh, if if all you're doing is buying and selling a little bit of Bitcoin, that's you you can do that pretty easily yourself and not worry about it. It's at the point where you're dealing with like. 20 or 30 different tokens across a bunch of different networks and you're having to price them and do things like impairment and all of that. Like we have a customer before they came to us, they had one full-time headcount just doing the impairment calculations. And that is a enormous burden. I mean, that's, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year to just figure out how much of an expense you take from impairment. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and so as you, as your stuff gets complicated, you, you absolutely need Bitwave to handle that. You, you cannot, you, you you hit a point where you really cannot or should not be doing it in spreadsheets. And a lot of that comes down to is less about the taxes. It's more about auditing. You know, it's like at some point, if you are a public company or if you plan on going public and you're going to get audited, you need to have your your finance, your financials in order and having a system like Bitwave, uh, having Bitwave basically is how you can get that in a way that you're auditably very comfortable with it. When it comes to tax, uh, it's um, crypto tax is. One of the easier parts of crypto, honestly, like a lot of the compliance and accounting obligations tend to be more complicated. Tax actually is very similar between what you're already doing with everything else. You know, if you get, if you are buying and selling crypto, the difference between what you bought it at and what you sold it at, or if you, if you are spending it, the difference between what you bought it at and then what you spent it at is your capital gains or in the US, that would be capital gains around the world, different, different names for it, things like that. But that's that's what you are tracking as a from a capital gains perspective is the delta between your cost basis and disposition value, uh, and that's pretty normal. That's a pretty normal thing that everyone's used to doing because the the corporate side of that lines up nicely with you as an individual. Like if you've ever had to to, to report taxes on buying and selling stock, exact same thing with crypto. Very very similar from a tax perspective. It's the same there. What CFOs really have to watch for is the it's the accounting side. Like that's where things get really, really, really tricky because that's where you have to do these these different forms of revaluation. You're having it. You're you know one thing that I always joke about is it is that even businesses you know you do your taxes once a year, once a quarter, maybe once a month if you're if you're big enough. But every business does their bookkeeping and their accounting every single day. So like if you're if you're using crypto every single day, you need to be you need to be accounting for that crypto. It's actually an incredibly important part of it. 
And so that's how we think about it. It's, just, it's, a, it's a system for dealing with, you know, crypto and, and digital assets at the immense, literally immense scale. And, uh, and, to, and, and honestly, and I think we'll be talking about this more, but this idea of resources here, getting back to this macro climate that we're in, you know, accounting is typically seen as a cost center, which is a bizarre way to think about it. But it, it is like accounting doesn't really make you money. It tells you how much money you have. So I think people really like accounting. It's and and by the way, Deborah, it's a part of my business that I really like, which is that you know people hate taxes. It's just it's just the nature of the world, right? You can love clean road, you can love clean water and good roads, and hate taxes, and that's that's okay with our the current world we live in. People hate taxes, but people love accounting because accounting tells you how much money you're making. Now you then take that number and pay taxes on it, but you still it still tells you how much money you're making. And so that's really where we, we we tend to focus more on that side of like how much money are you making? What are your what are your current like what are your current revenue? How are you forecasting it? All that kind of stuff. And it, it even you know without I'll, I'll end I'll end the, the answer here relatively quickly, but without getting into too much detail, even things like revenue forecasting in a crypto world gets incredibly complicated. So if you know if you're used to if you're used to selling widgets and you suddenly move to this world where you're selling widgets for for a hyper volatile asset on the blockchain where your your fee expenses are are incredibly volatile the value of the eth coming to you is incredibly volatile some of your your fpna like the financial an analysis that you're doing internally is really tough because you're saying like hey nine months from now here's what my usd expenses are going to be but i have no idea what my revenue in in crypto will be, so I have to like think about hedging strategies and all the different all the different things you would do for forex, but like on a, an amazingly different scale. I mean, it's it's forex, it's complex forex management on uh, at ten x. It's really interesting. You basically flipped it all around, like for me in my head. Um, you mentioned the climate. Um, it. I don't think it's a surprise anyone to say that there's additional pressure on finance teams. Um, in some cases, they're being asked to do more with less. Um, what can they do? Do you have any advice for them to help them alleviate some of that pressure? Yeah. And I think, you know, the way I tend to think about this is that the, you know, finance teams are really going through an interesting period right now. And I, and I don't almost know how to say this, but like, it's one of those things where, where finance, there's a intersection happening in some ways between, uh, finance and maybe you'd say like data science you know it's one of those things if you if you've heard the term data scientist or data engineer i mean this is the idea of people that, that deal with data for a living and i think it's incredibly fair to say that before there were before there was a job board for data engineers there were accountants that were dealing with 100 million transactions spread across 100 excel spreadsheets because excel only lets you have a million rows in each each spreadsheet so i think the way i tend to think about this is that is that the Financial teams have to start to adapt and they have to start thinking about all of their problems as big data problems, because even if even if they're not, we are not in a world anymore where you can throw bodies at these problems or it's a lot. It's a lot more difficult to. So, like, it, it might not be a traditional big data problem where if you think about Google's big data, big data for Google means petabytes. But if you <clears throat> if you have one person that's expected to manage even 100,000 or a million transactions a year, which is not at all unreasonable for most modern day SMB, you know, let's say, let's say the M from SMB and up, 
Uh, but there's, but you had, you know, three people on your team fired and they're asking you to do it. That's, that's a big data problem. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, you have to be thinking about these in, in terms of different things. So it's important to start thinking about this in terms of like, how are you, uh, how are you kind of upskilling to deal with this new world? Because Excel is not usually quite enough. The best, the best finance folks that we work with, actually, a lot of them have moved on to working with, you know, more traditional data engineering or data science products, like, you know, uh, uh, different notebooks and, and notebooks and NumPy and Jupyter and things like that, where they actually are, are doing uh, real writing, real queries in SQL or writing some code to deal with the amount of data they have to deal with in, in bulk, or they're relying heavily on, on their accounting partners and, and, and tools, you know, Bitwave is a great example there that in order for them to really be picking that, that, that level up. So I think that it's just, if I really were to, if I were really tease this apart, is that we're, we're continuing to see this trend of, of software eating the world. That's never going away. Like, you know, up up until the point we we no longer have power <laughs> as a society, which I hope we don't hit. But like, you know, software will continue to eat the. I know, fingers crossed. <clears throat> software will continue to eat the world, and and more and more disciplines will be expected to leverage the capabilities of good software themselves. And that means that more and more things like accountants and, and bookkeepers and controllers, like like turn your head and squint and they'll start looking a lot less like uh, like the person in the green visor with the clicky machine and a lot more like a programmer or a data engineer or something like that. So that's my, when we talk to people who are getting started in their careers, my often recommendation is to, you know, take some engineering classes, like learn a little bit about, about working with data at scale, because, you know, again, it's, it's not just like, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be doing a billion records a year. You could be one person having to do a million records a year is the same as 10 people doing a billion or 100 people doing a billion. So it's equally difficult uh, from that perspective and start thinking about data as a, as part of your job responsibility as a, as a, a finance team. Just to take uh, one one tiny little tangent, have you seen the um, data job TikToks? Uh-uh, no. I, I, think, I, <laughs> I think, I don't know if TikTok just thinks I should be like a data engineer or something, but I get them all the time. And everyone just talks about how great it is being a data analyst and how everyone should be a data. And there's all these like 17 year olds in the comments being like, how do I do this? And they're like, yeah, it's just like the easiest job. And I'm like, it is not the easy. Like they've got it in their head that it's just this super chill job that they can work for. I guess maybe to them, like work from home, like if you're like really young, do you know what I mean? But, well, it's, I think it's one of those things of like, it's, it's, easy to to separate the, it's always this way in the world which is like it's very easy to separate like the mechanics of what you're doing as an engineer versus like the impact on the business and it's one of those things where like data data fi financial analysts fpna bookkeepers who are good at working with data uh have a disproportionate impact on their business so there's like uh, is it a fun job fine whatever but what you're always really looking for there like with anyone getting started in the career like what you're looking for is where you want to maximize, you know, this, this intersection of like, of happiness and money. Like the more you can maximize happiness and money, the better a life you will ultimately have between those two over optimize on either way. And you, and you start bumping into, you know, issues, but this is, it's a great example where like a good data scientist working with in a financial services on a, on a finance team, on the accounting team, whatever it is, um, they can do the work of five to 10 people easily. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, we talk about 10 X engineers, we talk about 10 X employees. Like it is, it is, 
a it's a skill set that doesn't get used or that's not really that omnipresent within that space. So you can be a 10x employee by just learning a new set of skills. And that that then also does make your life better because if you're being compared to people who are who are not using that, then you look like a top performer with one tenth of the of the work potentially. I mean it's I think that's probably the wrong way to look at it, but but it is it is a a good way to think about it <laughs> yeah and you know what? that's kind of what they say like they'll be like okay yeah so you just have to take these 10 courses i mean like 10 courses that's what but then to them they're like oh that's great and then i'll be on this much a year <laughs> it's it's always like this with engineering in general which is like it's it's very easy to say that engineering is you know you just take you just take these 10 classes and you're ready to go and that's what i i off because i you know i i do i talk with a lot of people starting their careers and things like that and i absolutely get engineering is a it's a phenomenal career data scientists are great careers like it's not for everybody like i have buddies who are lawyers who if you made them sit in front of a computer for 12 hours a day programming would jump out a window i mean like this it is not for everybody and it's one of those things that's where you have to you have to align like money with happiness because if you're the kind of person that likes talking to people and being sociable uh and and seeing the sun every now and again i mean might not be for you uh and, and data science in general and all of these uh but if you're if you're like me where you just want to sit in a dark room in front of your computer with no people around then it's it's a perfect place to be <laughs> um do you mind if i ask what are some of the challenges new asset classes are being like being faced today you know, I'd say that there's the biggest challenge that's being faced in our industry is lack of regulatory clarity, you know, and, and I not to be not to bag too much on the traditional financial system, but like, you know, it, it's not that I don't even get it. At the end of the day, America's first or second uh, industry, you know, there you can point at a lot of them. There's tech and there's things like that. But like, realistically speaking, one of our top five industries is financial services. And that is literally just moving is moving dollars around is creating hedges on it's creating bets and gambling on dollars and all that kind of stuff and i mean that in the legal way not the illegal way of gambling but you know whether it be cdos or mbss or or any different form of derivatives options all of it is sort of like flavors of gambling it dwarfs you know the the market around uh hedging uh instruments and the the market cap around those instruments drastically dwarfs the traditional stock market and things like that. So it's one of the things that like America has has is fundamentally has an enormous industry around financial services right now. So there's a very real world where something like crypto is a existential threat to America's financial services industry. And and in very in in a very moderate way, like then everyone is asking hard questions about like, well, how much should we, we be rent seeking? How much should we be protecting this industry in America versus how much should we be letting it get disrupted? And it's an incredibly hard. I mean, it's, it's like, it's the, it's the classic innovators dilemma, uh, which is about internal company disruption, disrupting your own products, but at a, at a, you know, nation state level and not just any nation state, but the U S you know, the, the global superpower of, of financial services and the hardest thing to ever do is to disrupt yourself. You know, I mean, literally across the board, if you ever read any of these books, I mean, they're great books because they're so true. It's the hardest thing to ever do is to is to disrupt yourself. So we in, in America, we're kind of faced this thing where like everyone looks at crypto and we we as America want to remain, we want to retain our tech lead. Like we want to retain how good we are at technology versus the rest of the world, how how hard we push things. We want to remain a, a technological superpower in addition to a monetary and military one. 
but then that is directly potentially in conflict with the the massive banks that have their fingers incredibly deep into into Washington. So in America right now, we're going through this. We're going through this where it is a you know it's a choppy road that we are walking to basically try to uh, invest in the new technology and encourage startups around crypto, but also not destroy our financial services industry. So I, I take sort of a macro regulatory view of of this problem, which is that like we. We have to figure out how to walk this tightrope because the worst thing that would happen to us is that someone like Hong Kong becomes the the center of gravity for all things digital assets. That would be that should be incredibly scary to America because they will they will be equally vicious competitors and innovators, but then with a without a lot of the uh, good parts of the U.S. Constitution and things like that that we all really uh, know and love. And so like the place we don't want, like I, and not to, not to bag on it, but like one of the bad things, like the CBDC stuff, this is the central bank digital assets, digital currencies, the CBDC work for the digital yuan in China is something that should legitimately scare us all. This idea of the government being able to stop your money being spent because your social credit score went down is something that we should all be, we should all be given pause about the idea of central bank digital currencies in in general. And so it's one of the things, it's one of the reasons I think it's so important because we have such great institutional safeguards for things like privacy and and security and and uh, property rights and all that kind of stuff in America. That's something that makes me very nervous to start thinking about seeding some of these industries like like crypto to other parts of the world where they don't necessarily have those same sorts of values. So I, you know, here or there, I don't exactly know what to say, but it is a really interesting time in our in our industry and, and in the world in general. Um, I've heard you talk about the new tech stack for finance teams. What is that? Well, you know, it's I'm not sure there's a single one. I think that you know, everyone in finance uses Excel. And you have to be good at Excel. That's that's table stakes. Uh, everybody in finance uses either QuickBooks or NetSuite or one of their one of their tools on that side. Now, where I think the tech stack starts to go is I think it's important to start learning more of these data science tools. Like I really think it's actually important to get your hands on something like Jupyter or the R Notebook or you know NumPy. Like there's different there's different tools out there that allow you to process data in bulk and get interesting results out of it. Uh, and then even kind of going beyond that, I think almost every finance person, you know, should learn uh, SQL, which is a programming language for for doing uh, uh, manipulation of tabular data. So what you think about in Excel, you can do it in Excel, you can do it in SQL is, is a good way to sort of think about it. So, you know, I'm not it's and the funny part about it for what it's worth. You know, besides besides Bitwave or like some of, you know, like maybe Giraffe, Giraffe or one of those the financial stack hasn't really changed all that much to be honest like the financial stack over the last 10 years you know depending on the size of your company it's it's netsuite and bill.com or it's quickbooks and and quickbooks is a arap tooling around it and i think we're like right now with crypto is a real fundamental change in the overall tech stack like is a real deep fundamental difference to to how you're going to have to work with this this data but overall like a lot of the tools have remained the same uh, it's just like how effective you are at like working with them. And then second of all, how effective you are at working on top of them, because even though the data stayed the same, NetSuite is at this point, it's a 20 year old product. I mean, it just does. It just isn't the same as a as a modern, you know, modern cloud based product. And so, you know, you're 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 doing stuff like using Bitwave to get around 
like one of the things that BitWave does is that NetSuite would charge you a lot of money for 3 billion transactions to go into your general ledger. And so something like NetSuite helps by by basically deflecting that where we we take the 3 billion transactions that we produce, you know, 500 journal entries on the other side of it uh, so that you're it's a more reasonable amount of stuff in the GL versus the sub the sub ledger there. Nice. So as we look forward to 2024, um, are there any cool tools or resources that are available to CFOs that they should be looking into? Well, the the thing I talk a lot about is I think I think that we are finally starting to see crypto payments mature. And that is to say that I I uh you know, payments is is a really interesting part of the industry, which is that it's the thing we all do. I mean, like money exists for business to business payments. Like I, I, it's a, it's a funny way to look at it. Like, yeah, money exists for individuals to individuals, but it exists for businesses and, and cooperatives of humans to interact with other uh, cooperatives of humans or single and humans. And so payments is like, it's, it's literally the, one of the oldest uses of money that we know of. And we are kind of going through a period right now where we are going to see with crypto payments uh, the ability to do instant worldwide settlement of payments with incredible high security uh, for pennies on the hundred billion dollars. I mean, this idea of like being able to pay a billion dollars for like literally two cents of transaction fees is uh, it is fundamentally. Uh, uh, it's a rework of the entire system in many ways. And I think the thing that's happened with crypto is that we've we've gotten to the point where money is like data. Gosh, we talked about a lot about data in this in this um in this pod here. We're joining um, the TikTok superstars. They'll be, they'll <laughs> yeah, be shorting us on this. TikTok soon. I assume there's like a data dance. I don't I'm not a TikToker. Um the uh, and so the idea is that like instead of instead of money being this uh ethereal thing that is really hard to work with. And it is like, I, I talk about this a lot. The reason crypto is so exciting amongst every, besides everything else is that money is incredibly difficult to work with from a programming perspective. So this is why like we were talking about like software eating the world. It is really, really hard for programmers to work with money. You can work with certain facets of money easily. Like Stripe lets you work with credit cards. Uh, there's a couple things that let you interact with ACH mechanisms. But overall, the idea of being able to program money is, is it, you either have to completely control your ecosystem like a bank does, right? So a bank, you can program money if you work at Bank of America and I want to build a tool to transfer money between two accounts, I can program money that way. But the second that you leave your boundary, the second you leave Bank of America near, you're talking to, to Wells Fargo, these are two people that, that hate each other. And so you're now no longer like you can't just spin up a little joint programming effort. Like you have to have moderators like the Fed and and all the guys working in the middle of these of these uh, in, uh, institutions. What crypto does is it's it's a great it's a leveling of playing field there because basically I can now build a a platform for whatever lending, borrowing, buying stocks, selling stocks, buying pictures of kittens, whatever it is. And anyone can participate in it with no with no restrictions, and also without this overbearing sense of like, oh no, I'm competing with these guys. I don't want to. I don't want to involve myself with it. So it breaks down a lot of barriers around even competition and like co-op, uh, co-op, co-opetition. I think they call it things like that. So it's uh, the the high level for me is that payments are really going to become a big thing. You know, the in in the same vein, essentially what happens is that 
instead of thinking about payments in terms of like, I need, I need like paying a billion dollars is harder than paying a million dollars is harder than paying $10. That, that goes away with crypto because this is now just, it's a, it's a ledger out there in the wild. And those are just numbers. And the cost of changing a number from a billion here to a billion there versus a million here, a million there is it's exactly the same cost. There's like literally no difference. I think this is one of the things that's really important because this is where we all get this. The current financial services companies really exact their pound of flesh from this notion of like how difference, how how we we all perceive a billion dollars is different than $10. Uh, and that's, it's just, it's not a thing anymore. Like, yes, back in the days when you were, you were carrying gold around. Yes, it was a thing. The difference between a billion dollars and a million dollars was very different. But today when it's all just bits in a database, it's insane that anyone charges BIPs on any sort of transaction because there's literally outside of ones where there's risk involved, like lending. Um, the idea of charging BIPs on any, on sending money or doing anything like that is it's asinine because it's just two, it's two bits and two databases getting flipped. And the the, the marginal cost of those bits is, is zero. So crypto just really brings that to the forefront. Is it like there is a dollar amount that is told for how much it costs to send a billion dollars versus to send a million. And it's exactly the same. And as people got to realize that that's where payments start to really come into play, which is like you can run your entire really highly complex payments uh, back office off of crypto for pennies on the dollar plus flat rate to someone to, to Bitwave to actually handle your accounting there. So it's it's a really exciting time for payments in the industry here. So last question, um, if anyone loved what you had to say and is really interested in hearing more, how can they connect with or follow you? Absolutely. So I, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Pat White on LinkedIn. I'm at Pat, <laughs> at Pat White on Twitter or X or whatever the hell they call it now. Um, and then uh, you can always find out about if you're if you are doing anything with crypto and you need services like this, Bitwave.io is the uh, the best place to come. And you can request a demo. You can learn about our products. You, we have an entire thing called Bitwave U, where you can everything I've told you and more. You can learn about accounting and finance and tax all around uh, crypto. So, uh, uh, Bitwave.io is the uh, the best place. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. This was the FS podcast hosted by Excel. Don't forget to follow us to hear more.